Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. My topic for today is limited scope legal services, also known as unbundled services, and uh, we tackle them in the context of family law. Access to justice is a subject on many lips today, and uh, lawyers, judges, the justice system in general is making great efforts to increase access to justice for Ontarians. Limited scope legal services are a very viable and valuable option for Ontarians who need legal services, who need some involvement in their cases by a lawyer but cannot hire a lawyer on a full-time basis. The interview which follows is, I hope uh, you will agree, very helpful in providing some very basic and very practical information about limited scope services. And my guests today are Janice Ho and Lucia Lamb, who are family law lawyers in New York region at a firm called Ho Lamb Law. I include information about them and more specifically uh, a link to their website in the episode notes. I had a lot of fun during this interview, and I think we explored the subject of limited scope services from different perspectives and uh, provide, again, very practical information. I hope you enjoy the interview, and uh, here it is. Hello, Janice and Lucia. Thank you very much for agreeing to join me on this episode. I look forward to our discussion about limited scope services today, uh, also known as unbundled uh, legal services. Please tell us a bit about yourselves, because I wanted my listeners to know why I thought you would be the perfect guests for our topic today. Hi, AJ. Thank you for having us today. Uh, It's actually a really great opportunity to talk about a really interesting topic. Uh, So I'm Janice. And, um, well, I've been practicing as a lawyer for quite some time now, um, probably into my 12th year. And I actually took a really circuitous route into family law. So I actually started out articling with the CAS, went to a 
a boutique family law firm downtown for a couple of years. And then I was in a full service firm, just practicing family law for almost a decade. And now we are here with my wonderful partner, Lucia. We've come out and ventured on our own, took that big leap and started our own family law firm in Markham. So it's been a long road, but I think we've gotten where we need to be. So we, I have had a variety of experience with many different types of clients, people in my life. Um, so I think we're at the place where we need to be right now just to help people who come to us who have family law problems. Yeah, no, I think for me as well, I just, you know, deciding to become a lawyer and going to law school wasn't didn't actually think from the outset that I wanted to be a family and divorce lawyer. It just so happened, you know, after you graduate, um, you know, I articled, I went straight into family laws articles, and it just sort of fell into my lap. And then, you know, you sort of, it's a huge steep learning curve initially, but then I don't know, you just become familiar with the subject. And then now all of a sudden, it's just it's become my comfort zone, I suppose you could say. And then I met Janice, we worked at the same firm from before. And I don't know, it's just things just sort of fell into place on its own. And here we are. And we've been at our new firm for literally almost our one year anniversary. anniversary. Well, congratulations. (laughs) The firm is Holem Law, and uh, there will be a link to the firm's website in the episode notes as usual. So congratulations to you both. I think you are a natural partnership. I can tell you that. And I have a great respect for both of you as lawyers. You know, you, you talked about things falling into your lap and then going a circuitous route to what we do. I can't imagine myself doing anything else right now. Sometimes I wish I were doing something else on the tough days <laughs> True, at the yeah, end of a full day at court, but this is what we do. And I think we all share the idea that we are uh, helping make a difference in people's lives. And I know that sometimes sounds hollow and cliche, but I think the three of us really mean it. So uh, again, thank you for joining me today. I thought you would be the right set of lawyers to talk to me about uh, this issue, including because all three of us offer limited scope services and all three of us are on a roster of lawyers who do that. And we will talk a bit about the website uh, where people can go to get more information to actually find someone in their area who provides these kinds of services. So the reason I thought this topic was timely, I think you agree with that, is because for a variety of reasons, including financial reasons, many people uh, represent themselves in family court these days. And many can't afford to hire a lawyer full-time, but they do feel that they would benefit from some legal assistance or coaching, for example. Some are choosing mediation to try and tackle their disputes, which is a great thing. Again, they are looking for some assistance with that. So I'm very keen on educating Ontarians about limited scope services Uh, letting them know that they exist, what the options here are, and how they can go about benefiting from these services. So again, I think our discussion is timely. Let's spend a couple of minutes talking about why our discussion is timely. Well, I think 
in this very moment, I think with the, the whole COVID pandemic that, I mean, definitely people in terms of their financial situation, in terms of job security, it, for a lot of people, it's up in the air. They don't know how things are going to pan out in about a year or two. But just because that part is unknown doesn't mean that people, unfortunately, aren't still experiencing, you know, separation within the home. And so they do, they are looking for that legal advice, but it may be that they're just looking for advice on a specific issue and to be able to get that advice on a particular or the very discreet issue or on a particular task that helps them financially or they're able to budget rather than, you know, the traditional, oh my God, I'm about to fork over thousands of dollars to bring on a lawyer in a time when I don't know what's going on with my own personal finances. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, it, it is true. We have, we find a lot of people who come to us and say, you know, I, I have a certain amount of money I've budgeted that I, I know I need some help. Um, I, I'm not doing the processes right. Um, I'm always getting feedback from a judge or, or it could be from another lawyer that, you know, you're, you're doing this wrong. You need to get some legal advice. But they only have a certain amount of pot in, in, to, to spend. And so they want to know where they're best to put their resources in. And that's really our job is for them to come to us and say, hey, this is where I am in my family law matter. This is what I need to do. How do I get there? And then we help them set the goals, set the strategies, the theories to help them get to the end, what their goal is. Uh, what do you want to see at the end of the day? And we try to approach it in a very pragmatic and practical manner because these are people who are alive right there. At the end of the day, we help you with your legal matter, but you have to live with the results. So we try to help you to get to where you, you want to be. And I think there is a, a huge demand for that now, for, for people to want to have a little bit of control in their matter and then also conserve their financial resources. Very helpful comments. The subject of access to justice is on virtually everyone's lips uh, today. Uh, the legal system is definitely tackling the subject and the courts are making uh, great efforts, including during the pandemic, to increase Ontarians' access to justice. So back to some very basic principles, because I want to pick up on some of the comments you made. In a classic situation, call it a classic retainer, retainer being here the relationship between the lawyer and the client, not the money that's paid to the lawyer at the initial, at the start of the case, the classic retainer is someone comes to Lucia, for example, and says, I am separating and I need help with all issues arising out of that separation. And the lawyer, like Lucia, then becomes responsible for handling all issues as they unfold, either until the end of the case or until the relationship is over. Uh, there are a variety of options here. In unbundled services or limited scope services, a lawyer who provides those services would be approached to deal with only specific tasks in that case, as opposed to the whole case. So we will go through some hypotheticals to illustrate the point. And so these hypotheticals will include examples of such specific instances. So for example, in broad terms, preparing for a particular court attendance or preparing for a mediation or completing a set of documents. So that's essentially what uh, a limit, limited scope retainer 
is the relationship between the lawyer and the client. The lawyer assists with specific tasks or provides advice, for example, from time to time. So let's go into our hypotheticals because I know you agree these will be helpful to the listeners in understanding in more more practical terms what we're talking about. So here is hypothetical number one. Sam and his ex-wife Sally have two kids. and Sam has been paying child support to Sally for three years based on a court order. Sam works at a manufacturing plant, and when the pandemic broke out, work at the plant virtually stopped. Over time, it has picked up a bit, but not to the levels before COVID. A number of workers at the plant had to be laid off. Sam's employer came to him and told him that there was a possibility of keeping Sam on as an employee but he would have to take a 25% pay cut. Sam considered whether to take the pay cut and keep the job or whether to look for work at another plant, but he was worried that lots of people with his skills would be looking for work, so he said yes to his employer. When Sam told Sally what happened and that he needed to reduce his child support payments, she did not agree. She said he can take an extra job to make up the reduction in his income at the plant. To this, Sam responded that his work hours have not been reduced, just his pay. So he really cannot take on extra work. So Sam has heard that he needs to do something with the court order, the court order that uh, initially Uh, resulted in his making these payments, these child support payments. He can't afford to hire a lawyer full-time to deal with the whole case, but he knows he will need some help. So he comes to you, Lucia or Janice, to ask what services you can offer him on a limited scope basis. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, this... I guess the beauty or the one of the best things about uh, limited scope is that there's a whole range available for the client to choose from. It really depends on what he can afford and what he's looking for and at what point in the process he wants somebody to step in. So, for example, one may be depending on the dynamic between him and his and Sally, you know, some parties, they might want to, you know, let me speak with her and see what if I can get any headway on this issue on my own, right? Before, you know, and if they do butt heads and you might say, hey, um, you know, lawyer, can I have a lawyer come in and maybe write a letter to Sally? And maybe that is what will be the incentive to get her to push forward. So you might have a situation where you're there just to write that introductory letter. And then from there, he'll see, is there any movement I can do on my own? And then from there, he would decide, okay, maybe I need you to write a second letter. It could be on a very discreet task by task basis. So that and in that sense, if he chooses that way, he'll always be assessing how much money he's spending on legal fees and how much more he has in his pot to, to move forward with the assistance of counsel. That's one scenario. Or it could be that he could be coming to us and say, hey, you know, I want to get this done as quickly as possible. That's what you hear from a lot of clients. I don't want to spend all of my time worrying about this. It's very stressful. It could be that, well, maybe one of the things we can do is 
we actually have the tools to do some calculations for you. Maybe if she can see the numbers as what they are under the expectations under the law, then maybe perhaps she can say, hey, yeah, I, I understand that this may not be a long-term thing. It could be a short-term thing. I'd be happy to negotiate something or you know, make a deal with you in the short term, in the interim, until you're back on your feet. And maybe we can help you to put a proposal out so that at least both of you will understand where, what the expectations is, are. Well, from Sam's point of view, it would be, well, this is what I can afford right now. And then from Sally, well, at least I can expect that this is what I will be receiving in this short period of time. So we can offer a different, like a lot of these in the scope services, the practitioners out there can offer these types of services where you can control our level of involvement. We can explain to you how we can help you in each step of the way, whether it's writing an introductory letter, whether it's maybe coming up with some calculations and, and a very reasonable practical proposal, or if it, it needs to go further, then you decide what kind of engagement you want us to be involved in. You set out a number of important elements of the limited scope retainer, and I think one takeaway for the listeners is that these types of limited scope relationships involve a step-by-step approach. So Lucia talked about perhaps assessing the situation and wondering whether a letter that you help draft may help make some headway in the dialogue between the parties. The letter might be sent directly by Sam first. Uh, Janet talked about the possibility of writing a further letter, and I think she was talking here about perhaps a direct letter from her to Sally to see if things can be moved along. I think there is another element to what you said, which is coaching. You're, You're coaching Sam on what the options might be, But again, importantly, it's on a step-by-step basis. There's an element of of coaching in a classic retainer as well, of course, where the lawyer is involved on a full-time basis. But, But it has a slightly different meaning in the context of a limited retainer because you're helping Sam, who is self-represented, to tackle various steps step by step and based on his specific budget, which may be limited. So really getting the biggest bang for his buck, I think, at a particular time is what we might say. Any other comments about this hypothetical? I guess one other option would be, for example, if the discussions between Sally and Sam are truly exhausted, then it's a question of starting a court case. So you, either of you, could potentially be retained on an unbundled services basis to help draft the materials. Any Correct. comments about that? Yeah, basically, I mean, you know, if, if he did, you know, if somebody initiated some sort of proceeding to to address the, the new child support payment, he might, again, retain us on a limited scope, maybe just to give him background coaching as to the type of uh, forms he needs to fill out, uh, what what things he should emphasize and put into those court documents, and he would be the one to do it himself. So it would just be getting the background coaching from us. Or alternatively, he might be like, hey, I want to retain you, just can you drop the materials for me, and away I go, for now. So again, very, very step-by-step, and as you said at the beginning, lots of options here. 
lots of options. I think I think this is one of the strengths of the limited scope formula, let's call it that, is that it provides the potential client in the limited scope relationship with a myriad of options. It's a little bit or it's a lot, and they can actually change their mind as the involvement continues. So for example, they can retain you initially for a little bit of coaching, and then they go to a court attendance and realize they need more help so they can come back to you and say, you know, I really need you to be involved a little bit more than you were before. And I now have a little bit more money available to pay for your services and the relationship can expand. So let's move to hypothetical number two. Uh, this is uh, Gurpreet who has been representing herself in family court for some time now. She prepared all the court material to start her court case all on her own. A couple of months before the pandemic broke out, she also participated in a case conference at the court. At that court attendance, the judge directed that for the settlement conference, which is the next attendance, which was scheduled for May, the parties prepare various materials, including net family property statements. When the pandemic broke out, all court dates were suspended. So now a new settlement conference has been scheduled for the end of November by video conference. And Gurpreet knows that at the settlement conference, there will be a more detailed, more in-depth discussion about the case with the judge. She is also unsure how to prepare the NFP statement, the net family property statement, and how to handle the video conference. She wants to continue to represent herself, but needs some legal assistance and comes to you for options in terms of limited scope services. What do you think about this hypothetical? Again, uh, Angie, as you said, there's actually a whole host of options that Gurpreet would have in a situation like this. So if she's been representing herself and wants to continue to, she could approach us at, the po- at that point and say, I just need some assistance. It could be either to help me, uh, I might be, Prepared, like Gurpreet might be prepared to actually do a first draft of the NFP statement because it is a legal document that a lot of clients might find a little bit complicated. But if she says, well, I, I think I can manage, I think I can manage a first draft. I just want you to look through it um, and see if it, everything looks okay. It could be that she might choose to say, you know, I actually don't know what this document is and I, I need some help to actually can you help me prepare it. And at that point, she can say, well, then I would like to retain you at that point to do these specific tasks, to prepare an NFP statement. Um, it can be that she might want to say, well, I actually, I need some assistance to have how to approach uh, doing a settlement conference. Um, how should, what should I say? How should I present my case? Maybe you can offer me some guidance as to how I should approach judge to best present my case. And we would can coach through that as well. Um and if it's a settlement conference, I might at that time suggest well, you do understand possibly you should be preparing what we call an offer to settle. Again, these are legal terms and legal documents. But 
you might need some assistance with that and um, and offer her some options as to how we could approach doing that herself if, if she needs that kind of help. But um, I think for, for me, I try to give the, the client the entire picture of what to expect at that particular conference and say, these are probably, these are the documents we're probably need. These are the, the way you should be presenting your case. Now it's up to you to decide what parts of this whole host of options that can happen at the settlement conference, what parts do you want me to help you with? What part do you think is best, as you say, the bang for your buck, where do you want to put the resources? What you what do you need most help with? And again, it can change from at, at any time. She might we might start on a very limited task where I'm only reviewing a document, but then at the time when we're reviewing a document, something comes up when I'm asking maybe, well, this doesn't match with the documents you've shown me, and it might be a little further more in depth investigation. That then at that time we would talk about, well, do you want me to do this for you, and and is it possible within your uh, budget to do that? There is also the option of actually participating in the settlement conference with her on what we call an agency basis, right? So she can select one of you or me or lawyer who provides these kinds of unbundled services to appear with her on her behalf, not as her lawyer of record, which is a phrase we use to describe a lawyer who is on a case full time, but as an agent uh, who is her legal representative on that day, and that can be on a limited scope basis. So I, I really liked what you said, Janet, about really explaining to Gorpreet what is involved in a settlement conference. For example, that Ideally, she should have made an offer to settle by the time she participates in the settlement conference. And that information then helps Gurpreet further decide what specific tasks she would like you to help her with. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've had clients who are like Gurpreet, who have done a lot of the work up to, even up to trial. And then they come to me and say, you know, I was able to manage the conferencing part of this litigation. But now that we're at trial, I know I need help. This is not going to be easy. I don't know how to ask questions to to bring out the evidence that I need to. So I've actually had limited scope retainers where I would actually build the theory of the case for the client. I would run through the evidence. Um, I would actually do an open trial statement and make it more focused. And I've also been tasked as agent to appear at maybe a trial management conference, which is another step before you get to the final trial in the litigation. Um, so yes, there's so many different options that you can choose from um, and you're in, you're in control. I think the key here is communication. I think we're identifying one of my favorite subjects, which is presenting a problem or a need and then finding out what your options are. So if anybody out there is self-represented right now and really doesn't know what to do next, I think they might consider contacting a lawyer who provides unbundled services and finding out what their options are. I think that's step number Mm -hmm. one. That then gives them further information, which in turn helps them make further decisions. So let's go to hypothetical number three. 
we're back to Sam and Sally. They have actually decided to try family mediation. And they have selected a mediator. And Sam comes to you and says, I am going to mediation with Sally. I don't, I, I know this is a process where we sit with a mediator who helps us talk, hash out our differences. But beyond that, I know nothing else. I really want to try this to avoid the cost of going to court. Can you help me with the idea of going to mediation in any way? What options can you offer in limited scope services? Um, I think, well, obviously, you know, it's always a plus when they are looking at sort of uh, alternatives to the litigation process. So I think as a first step, you would sort of explain to Sam what mediation actually is and, you know, what are the, the pros of mediation, which is, you know, you and Sally, you can structure you can try and reach in a settlement that both of you are, you know, have contributed to, um, as opposed to, you know, going full throttle litigation, win or lose. I think probably I would want to tell Sam that you want to maximize uh, your time at mediation. So part of that obviously would mean you want to be prepared for the mediation. You want to go into mediation knowing what the legal issues actually are and what is your goal? What is it that you want to resolve? Because, you know, there really is no value in just, you know, if they if they already are unfamiliar with what is going on, the last thing you want is for them to spend a day at mediation, not really knowing what the issues are. And in particular, the issues, but the law that surrounds it, right? Because it's one thing to say, I want this outcome, I want that outcome, but it still has to operate within the confines of what you're entitled to. So I think the, the prep part, I would, that's probably something that would be very valuable to these clients just so to maximize their time at mediation. And also sometimes it's not just the preparation part. They may find themselves in the media of mediation and they say, oh, well, I've talked to the media and this, today these are the discrete issues we talked about. But I have no idea whether what we talked about is reasonable. And I would then offer to the client and say, well, you know what, um, you, it, it probably would be to your benefit to even schedule half an hour of a call on a limited scope with, with the lawyer and say, hey, this is what we talked about. What do you think in the scope of all of the, our issues? Is this something reasonable? Are we going down the, the right path for me? Or am I a completely, have I completely lost point? So I find that sometimes it might be beneficial that after a mediation session, you actually have a session with the lawyer to say, hey, um, before I sign on the dotted line, is this is this something that's reasonable? Is this something I can live with? Practically speaking, too. Because right? you have to live with this mediated agreement at the end of the day. Um, where our involvement is done, but you know, it's your life. You, you, want, you want to make sure you're getting into the best uh, situation that you can. Yeah, and sometimes it depends, you know, it depends on the person who's reaching out to you for those services. It depends on, you know, some clients, they really, they do need that hand-holding. They do need things just really sort of explained to them. And then sometimes you have clients who are quite sophisticated on their own, and they figured out most of the stuff. And then maybe it's just they're at one issue where it's a little bit over their head. And so they, they literally give the stuff to you, and they just really want to make sure that, you know, for example, it has to do with calculations, that they've done things properly or is there anything that the lawyer can add that maybe they've missed out on just to give them that sort of reassurance that okay I am negotiating um, on a reasonable position and I'm not totally offside 
I want to say two things in response to what you said. Number one, in the excitement of this interview, I now realize I have referred to Janice as Janet a couple of times. <laughs> no worries. You know, I've actually been told. You're, you now have you now have the option of referring to me as anything you want. <laughs> so I apologize for that, Janice. No, no, um, no, no. Number two, your comments about mediation um, from a lawyer's perspective. Tell me that we might have a three-way interview at some point about this very topic. And I would be participating in the discussion from the perspective of a mediator, and you would be participating Mm -hmm. as lawyers. Because there is a giant disconnect out there among the public of what mediation is and what role the law plays in the process of mediation, right? I tell people it's the measuring stick by which they are uh, gauging their positions at the negotiating table. And you made some very helpful comments that, you know, it's really beneficial for people who are mediating to have a lawyer in the background, perhaps after each session, to sort of check in and see, you know, this is the progress we've made so far in principle. This is where I think our discussion is going. What should I be paying attention to in terms of the law? So I'm going to invite you after we conclude our interview and in a little bit of time after you get some rest from this interview (laughs) uh, to perhaps consider having a session with me to discuss mediation. I created this hypothetical specifically because when people hear about limited scope services, I think most of the time they think about help with the court case. But that help is not limited to just court cases. You can coach someone while they're having a direct dialogue with their spouse. And you can also prep them for mediation or, you know, coach them in that sense. I just thought about something else. What about possible coaching for a discussion with the Children's Aid Society? Janice, you have experience with that, right? Yes. Um, that, that, you know, sometimes we get, I get a call, I'm sure you have in the past, I've been contacted by the CAS, the Children's Aid Society, but I want to make sure that I don't create problems for myself. I think that's a perfect example of a situation in which limited scope services might be helpful. Don't you agree? I agree. I've actually had clients who have contacted me in these circumstances where they've said, oh, CAS is now involved. Um, you know, um, how, what, how should I talk to them? I'm afraid once people hear that CAS is, is, is coming, they, they think the worst possible scenario, the children are going to be taken away. You know, I have, and they start to get very nervous. So what I generally, you know, what we can offer in the scope is how to prepare you to have a meeting with a CAS social worker. Obviously your, your comments should always be directed. It should be child focused on child issues. So there are, yes, there's a certain, there absolutely is an opportunity for people out there to, to speak with a lawyer to understand, you know, what they should be talking to with the CAS worker in that particular meeting or any other further additional meetings that the CAS may have. They may request to speak to the children. Um, they may want to go to the school. You know, I need an interview. And some, again, parents get nervous when they hear that. Why would they want to see my child at the school? 
but that's part of the investigation. And so we can certainly help you explain that kind of process that while we're going through it and hopefully get through to the end and that's, it's, it's a good outcome. So, so I'm thinking on my feet as you're speaking, or for example, the judge in a court case where the parties are uh, representing themselves requests that the office of the children's lawyer uh, become involved. And in order to make that decision, uh, which is discretionary, meaning, by the way, up to the office of the children's lawyer, uh, the parties need to complete forms, which set out some in some detail what the case is about. And these forms are instrumental to the office of the children's lawyer in their decision as to whether or not to take on the case. So this would be another example of a task with which a lawyer offering unbundled services could help, correct? Correct. And even understanding what kind of involvement the OCL will have. I've had clients who have completely misunderstood what they're requesting in terms of the orders. You can have a lawyer represent a child. You can have the OCL come in and do uh, an investigation and report to the court on their recommendations and what the best parenting plan is for the kids. And there's a lot of confusion as to what has actually the, the OCL been asked to do. And so I, I think it helps to explain that these are the myriad of services the OCL can provide and which one are you actually looking for? What is appropriate for your matter? Now we also have voice of child reports as well. Maybe that might be something that it should be considered in, in your particular matter. So there's a lot of things that we can certainly assist with just to get parents to understand what the involvement I, I, I think we've given our listeners a fair number of practical examples, right? And, and shown them that it's a stage-by-stage engagement. The client controls the level of the lawyer's involvement, also controls the cost of such involvement in the sense that, you know, as, as one of you mentioned early on, sometimes a client comes and says, I have this and this much money to play with. I am in this point in the court case, and I think ahead of me are the following steps. You know, I'd like to use this money wisely. What are your suggestions? So now that we've given some practical examples, I'd like us to talk a bit how one would go about finding a lawyer in Ontario who provides these kinds of services? Uh, well, I would, my suggestion would be the number one source or the first source that anybody who's interested in this should go to would be um, the Ontario's Family Law Limited Scope Services Project. And, you know, they have this very useful website. Um, you know, once you go on it, it really sort of distills, uh, distills what the service is down so that for the general public, it's easy to read. Um, you know, they talk about what exactly are limited scope legal services. Why do we have this alternative here? You know, the access to justice bit. And then I think also the best part is that there's a roster. So there are lawyers who do this type of service and you can find those lawyers on the website itself. It's almost like a, it's like a one-stop shop for a limited scope. And I, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have the web address in the episode notes and also on the website. And I agree with Lucia. It's a it's an intuitive, easy to follow website with a lot of useful information. And uh, the lawyers are available throughout Ontario. So it's not, 
you know, Toronto focused or mm-hmm. York region focused. The, there are lawyers uh, across the province who provide these kinds of services. What about payment options? What what experience have you had with being retained on a limited scope basis? And I can share some of my experience with you as well. But but go ahead. What are the options for a client here? Options can be, they can say, well, I only want, I only need maybe two to three hours of your time to do a certain task. Um, and we can go from there. If, if the client says, oh, well, I, I, I see what your hourly rate is. And so I think right now I, I want to benefit from three hours. And out of these three hours, where, where do I think it's best for you to apply those um, services? So we can start out from there. And then if at any point we, we reach close to the limit and let's say there actually is more work to be done, we can reach out at that time for the client to choose. Do you want, uh, are you okay with the work that's been done so far? Do you, do you think you need another hour or two hours to, to finish or to go more in depth on what you need? And then there's also the task based where a client may reach out and say, well, I just want you to draft this offer to settle. I just want you to draft or prepare the net family property statement that we talked about. And then it would be, well, if it's not a very complex issue, then we can fix it at a fixed rate. And that's, whether I go above or below, then that's the fixed rate. Um, most of the time, from our experience, we, we, we always provide more services than, than less. So obviously, sometimes we'll see that we are, are actually absorbing some of those costs ourselves because the clients do need help. Mm-hmm. They obviously um, don't have resources and they do need the legal services. So, um, and I find for most of even in our area of practice uh, in, in our jurisdiction, a lot of the, the bar, uh, we call the bar of defense, the lawyers in the area are very helpful in that sense where they would, you know, okay, that's fine. Whatever you can afford, this is what I think will fit reasonably within that amount of time or within the task. And if I go over and above, I won't charge you on as over and I think that speaks to, I mean, it really speaks to the whole access to justice, right? That is the motivating force behind limited scope services. So, you know, for example, if you have a client that says, you know, I really just want you to look at, um, you know, just review my NFP statement. Can you just like uh, run over the the support calculations and let me know if it's like within the range, et cetera, right? And, you know, in that discussion, you might say, okay, I see, I would estimate two, three hours. So then they pay you in the two, three hours. And, you know, oftentimes, sometimes you go, you do go above that a bit and you have a call, you have the emails, but then, I mean, keeping that whole access and justice in mind and genuinely wanting to help these people. I mean, certainly us, we would be like, uh, sorry, time's up, right? You would you finish that task that, that both of you knew you guys would, or what you would be helping the, the client with at the beginning, right? And I find that with the clients, you know, they do appreciate, they appreciate the extra effort that the lawyer is, is giving them and then at the end of the task or at the end of that the the number of hours if they if they still feel they need legal assistance by that time they actually trust you and they continually they do want to come back to you to ask for more advice to hopefully help them see them through the entire you know uh, whatever issues that they are having see them through to the final settlement so this the payment options uh, are uh, the same in my office so we do it on an hourly basis or we do it per task and I think most lawyers approach payment from the same perspective. Again, there are options available. As for your later comments, I 
echo them 100%. This is not a situation where we put down our pens when the time is up, so to speak, because many people who require unbundled services are facing financial pressure. And that is the primary reason why they can't afford to hire a lawyer on a full-time basis. And we as lawyers wouldn't be discharging our responsibility to the public in the way uh, that we should if we simply put our pen down and said, well, I'm in the middle of a sentence or I'm in the middle of a document for you, or I can't ask, answer your next question because the time is up. So yeah, there's definitely an element of giving back here. I really appreciate your contributions here. I think your comments in response to the hypotheticals were very, very practical. And I think they will be helpful to listeners who really are trying to understand what these unique services are and how they address the access to justice problem right now. Now we move on to something I do at the end of each interview. As my listeners know by now, I am a big fan of a podcast called Clear and Vivid. It's Alan Alda's podcast. (laughs) He is the Alan Alda of MASH. Yes, that MASH. (laughs) And at the end of each of his interviews, he has this fabulous podcast advice and he asks his listeners, I think, seven questions. I'm not going to ask you seven questions, but I'm going to ask you three. And these are about one of my favorite subjects, and that is food. Are you ready? We love food. Yes, that's our favorite subject. (laughs) It's a meeting of the mind. So (laughs) from each of you, please, what is your favorite food or cuisine? I honestly, I I don't have a favorite one because it's really dependent upon my particular craving on a particular day. There's just, it's too much to choose from. But, you know, me and Janice, you know, I think both of us, there there are certain things that um I could eat every single day. So I guess if you sort of like reframed it as in what could you eat every single day and not get sick of, then there's definitely items like that. Like what? Uh, noodle soup. Asian noodle soup specifically. I mean, it's so stereotypical. I mean, we're both Chinese, but um, yes, Asian noodle soup. I could eat that every day and I could probably eat rice every day and Chinese soup every day. Right. It's, it's true. I would say that and it, it's true to a certain extent. What is my favorite food on any given day depends on what I'm craving that day. So there are some days where I would just love Turkish food. Some days I need some I need some sushi. I need it right now. Mm-hmm. And some days it's I really want some comfort food. So, I, yes, noodles and soup, uh, any kind of way you have it is the way I will eat it. And I will always add spice to it. I am oh, yeah. known to eat very spicy food. To the point of heartburn. To the point of having heartburn all the time. Um, so <laughs> I, I I would say the food accompanies my spice level. So, But spice is probably my favorite thing. Yeah. I love steak. Oh, yes. I love steak. I could have that. Yes. Lucia has been known to fly out for steak. Like <laughs> I love like medium. Oh, my God. I just love steak. Yeah. And do you, do you have any idea... 
what triggers those steak tray cravings? Maybe you should track them on a calendar with your activities and sort of sort of figure out that, you know, speaking to a particular lawyer uh, about a particular case makes you crave steak. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. I should maybe track on calendar, like keep an app on which particular days. I'm like, there oh my God, you need to have that red meat. <laughs> Very interesting. So Asian food is my favorite food. Uh, and noodles, uh, I could eat noodles all the time as well. Although I'm I'm probably a bit of a lightweight when it comes to the spice level compared to Janice, uh, based on the way she's talking. But I've, I've, I've gotten better. You know, I, my workmates laugh because when I have spicy food at the office, they can see I'm touching the top of my head. When I have spicy food... I get little tingles at the top of my head. I know it's very strange, but um, that's what happens. Some people have smoke coming out of their ears. I don't, the top of my head. <laughs> so favorite restaurants anywhere in the world. So w- there was a second question, which is what makes your favorite food special for you. But I think you've covered that. It really is dependent on a particular mood, a particular craving at a particular time. So let's talk about favorite restaurants. That's a tough oh, one. God. Is it street food? Is it? Uh, street food all the way. Like I, I, I think both Lucia yeah. and I are quite adventurous eaters. There's nothing we won't try once at least. So, but it, I find it always comes back to, it's like, the street food where it's it's just yeah it's authentic it's authentic to to the culture to the people and it's it's just tastes so much better i mean you do have your whole wide range like you have a wide range of restaurants right so obviously you have the really you know fancy schmancy and you know you know the expensive ones which you know well i find anyways more often than not you're paying more for the ambience and the food is like, okay, well, well, it was good, but whatever we paid this again, maybe not so much, right? Some of them do live up to it, like we've been to. Yeah, we right? probably want to show uh, Kaji. Kaji? Yeah. Kaji. Oh, oh yes, I know exactly where it is. It's in Etobicoke. Yeah. yeah. That was the Queensway. Yeah. I know exactly where Kaji is. Yes, you need to bring a large bundle of, of money with you. <laughs> uh, yes. But that's probably, I would say, the one that sticks out in my mind is a restaurant where it's like, okay, yeah, it was pricey, but it was actually worth it. It was quite I memorable. Think. It was a very memorable meal. And I think a part of it was also the service where they would be like, here, you can dip this sushi in the soy sauce. This one is a no dip. And they would yeah. guide you through that culinary experience. And it was just, it was just great. Um, so yes, that is a restaurant. Yeah. We would I find like the restaurants that speak to me are the ones where it's like, I finish and I'm like, I would definitely go back there again. So, for example, even Kaji, regardless of the price, you'd be like, no, I would go back there yeah, again. Yeah, I have to save up some money, but I yeah. would go there. <laughs> Whereas other restaurants, it might be like, yeah, no, it was a good experience. And then obviously, you know, the, the ones that are, you know, the hole in the wall, which sometimes that food is just it's so delicious, right? Yes, I remember I was in Hawaii one time, one, one time, and we were in a strip mall. It was just a run-of-the-mill strip mall in Hawaii where you could have had any kind of food you wanted and it was again it was a soup noodle but it was a seafood soup noodle it was so delicious and I still remember to this day this was probably I'd say 10 years ago and I still remember it was so good one of the things I liked about Kaji and I think it still is that way I haven't been there in a while it's how unassuming it looks from the outside yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 
I think, so you're driving by and someone says, well, you're going to look for this and this number and you look around and you say, well, surely this can't be here because <laughs> something that looks like a restaurant. And I think that enhances the experience once you walk in because perhaps your expectations are lowered when you first get there and then you come in and it's it's an incredible place. I agree with you uh, 100%. And I too am a huge fan of street food and I have family in Singapore. Oh my oh. God. Yes, it's uh, foodie's paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been, like, I don't know, we've mm-hmm. never been there, but just like what you see on like- On travel shows, food movies. shows, it looks amazing. Oh. Oh. Yeah. It, it's, it's quite the place. So- uh, I'm planning my next trip as soon as it's a little safer to fly, but I encourage you strongly to visit Singapore. It's it's an incredible place with a lot of variety. And of course, we in the Toronto area, including York Region, are very lucky because we have so much choice. Oh, yeah. We, yes, we're very fortunate. We can oh, decide yeah. on a given day, uh, this is what I'm craving. Lucia says, I want a particular steak, Kobe, or... And, <laughs> place and there's lots of choice oh yeah it's like a melting pot we're pretty lucky fantastic thank you both i appreciate very much uh, your participating and taking the time to provide us with your insights i know it's a busy time for everyone and the pandemic has put unique pressures on us all as lawyers as mothers as people as human beings. So I I very much appreciate your participating and I'm hoping uh, that our discussion about limited scope services today will be helpful to Ontarians out there who need legal help, some assistance, but are not able to hire a lawyer on a full-time basis. So thank you both. Thank you for having us. Yes, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, to my listeners, Uh, Please consider Lucia and Janice as uh, lawyers for your cases, whether it's on a full-time basis or unlimited basis. I have a lot of respect for them as family law lawyers, as I said before. So again, the uh, address to their website will be included in the episode notes. Thank you again. Thank Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.